0: Amen. Please be seated. We are in the first week of Advent. It's a season of reflection and rest and anticipation. Reflection, uh, the many fulfilled promises of God. uh, Fulfilled in the person of Christ, Uh, we reflect on that especially when he first came, uh, but also... We rest in the finished work of Jesus, in his death and his, his life and his death and his resurrection. We contemplate that afresh. We do that all the time, but we do that especially now. And we also anticipate um, the future promises of God, those yet fulfilled that are going to be fulfilled. We know they will be because of what he has already done. So we anticipate his coming again. And so, for this time of reflection and rest and anticipation, I have four messages for you. Um, we'll take a pause on our work, working through Acts in order to contemplate some of these topics that come from the name, from the person of Christ, from his activities, from his work. We'll think of how Matthew puts it in the first two chapters of his book. Now, there are special references that I have for you on the insert. Four points there with the passages you'll need to look at as we go through this together. Um, during the four weeks, I want to cover... Uh, different designations that Matthew uses in his first two chapters. Um, in those chapters, he refers to the name given to the Christ, Jesus. We go through that quickly. We speak his name fast, but there's specific import to his actual name, Christ, and that or Jesus, and that's what we'll consider this morning. But also, I want us to consider other designations that Matthew brings up, like the title Emmanuel. God with us. We'll consider that next week. The following week, he's called, at the very beginning of the gospel, the King of the Jews. We know this comes back when he's being crucified. What does it mean exactly? And we'll look at that in week three of Advent. And then finally, in week four, we'll consider the designation in Matthew and in other places where he's called the Son of God. What does this mean? How is that different from us being the children of God? How is Christ the Son of God? And what does that mean? Uh, These four messages will help us in this season of reflection, rest, and anticipation. I'll begin by reading the first passage listed there on the insert from Matthew. This is chapter 1, verse 20 and verse 21. This is God's holy and inspired word. Please hear as I read. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, as we begin this Advent season, please refresh our minds and our hearts with renewed knowledge about our Savior Jesus. Please give us spiritual ears to hear your word's message and guide us in ways that honor you. I pray that our love for Jesus would grow as we study the significance of his name on this day. For it is in his name that I pray, amen. There's much given to the meaning of names and people name their children with purpose. Uh, Recently, and you may have followed this on the news just a bit, it's an amazing story, a woman was left pretty furious after she found out that an airline employee made fun of her five-year-old daughter's name, both in person, when she read it on the ticket, and also in social media afterwards. Uh, the mother's, whose name is ABCDE. That's her name, ABCDE. C D E—said that The mother said that the gate agent for the airline company in California mocked the young girl. And people started shaming the mom of this five-year-old girl for naming the child ABCDE. But really, it's pronounced absidy. I mean, is that not obvious? And so she was upset. And it turns out, a little bit of research proves this is not a completely unheard of name. In fact, there are at minimum 373 women and girls named ABCDE in our country right now. (laughs) Absidy. Names are usually given for special reasons. It could be the name of a beloved family member. I know in the Italian culture, the firstborn son is very often named after the father. Some girls have the names of their grandmothers. Um, We gave Willow her middle name, Grace, so that she would think often about the grace of God in Christ. We have a Melchizedek in our church, which carries a very strong, you can't get stronger Biblical thematic elements about God's eternal promises kept through Christ, our high priest, our eternal high priest. So names, they can have dynamic, profound meanings. And the name Jesus is definitely in this category. You might expect it. The personal name for the Messiah, Jesus, first revealed in the Gospel of Matthew when the angel speaks to Joseph. You shall call his name Jesus. Whose name? The Messiah's name. The chosen one's name, the child that is conceived and married by the Holy Spirit. You shall call his name, his personal name, that which people will call him every day when they interact with him, Jesus. The name has import, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is referred to in several impactful passages, more than I have listed. I have four listed for you. And I want you to see how the name of Christ is referred to so specifically in these texts. In the first one, we see his name will be Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. In the the second text, John 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Specific reference to the name of Jesus. In Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In Philippians, the last passage we'll consider. Verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. The name evokes certain thoughts and understandings. And that's the purpose behind the name given. Now, we'll consider some of these different attributes that flow from the name of Christ. The name itself, though, Jesus... It's the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua was pronounced Yeshua or Yeshua. Many would have called Jesus Yeshua as he moved around and about. The name was relatively common in New Testament times. Joshua was a hero to the Jews. He was the great deliverer of the Jewish people from the hands of the Canaanites. Very popular name for sure. Of course, Joshua symbolize something greater than just relief from the oppression of other people. He represents deliverance greater than just that which is physical. And the angel says to Joseph, name the boy Jesus, Deliverer, because he will save his people from their sins. This is the first time that we have indication about his earthly personal name in Matthew 1. We know he will be the Christ, the Anointed One, which is the Greek word for Messiah. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Um, But here Joseph is told to name Christ, name the Messiah, Jesus, Deliverer, Savior. Remember the context for this when Joseph gets this news that he should name the child. Now, first century, this was common for the father to name the child. Um, he finds out that his wife, his, or his, not his wife yet, his fiance is pregnant with a child that's not his. The angel says, fear not, it, the child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now there's some relief, but this is not going to be immediate relief. He's still feeling the heavy weight of what's going on situationally. But then to add to this, by the way, the child that she will bear, you will call this name, which implies I'm expecting you to be the father on earth for this child, because you're naming him. The name will be Jesus. And of course he's thinking the name Joshua. He knows what this means. To this child, he has to explain to people, "Is well, it's not my child, but it is my child. He's trying to explain what this means based on what the angel's telling him. For he will save his people from their sins. It just gets heavier. Now he finds out that this will be the Messiah, and he will have this heavy burden of saving people from their sins, heavier than anyone ever has known. And here is what is reminded, what we are reminded of. Human beings have a sin problem. The sin problem we have separates us from our holy God, from a holy God. The sin problem we have rightly, justly, condemns us to God's wrath and judgment. Sin is our biggest problem. So for all the attributes or the designations or all the actions of Christ that we would consider, his being our Savior is the most personally important. There's so much to worship about Christ and to worship Christ concerning. But personally, for all of us, we can't even start that unless our sins are forgiven. And that's what he does for us. He's our Savior, the Savior of sinners. Jesus, deliverer, that's what this means. Sin is our biggest problem. Romans chapter 6 captures it well. The wages or the payment or the result of sin is death. I mean, that you can't get a bigger problem than spiritual death, let alone physical we need saving because of our sins, and Jesus is the Savior of sinners. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. The full of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. At a very personal level, Jesus is savior, as Savior is the most important reality for us. When we as the elders... Um, interview new people to become members when they say they want to join, we just ask a simple question. Who is Jesus to you? And what we're looking for is he's my savior. Because by saying that, you recognize your sin. If you say he's your savior, you know you need saving from something that confesses your sin and that he can save and he saves. Jesus The name of Jesus isn't about his being a great teacher. The name of Jesus isn't about him being a great religious leader. The name Jesus isn't about his being a great moral example. The name of Jesus has to do with him saving us from our sins. There's more significance to the name of Jesus that we find in Scripture. Uh, Look in the Gospel of John's passage that's there listed next. John's writing at the end of his Gospel account. And at the end of the account, he's summing up why he wrote the book. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written more as historic accounts from different perspectives. John is not concerned with chronology as such. It's more sermonic. He's just listing out the things Jesus did, and then he says in the last couple verses, starting at the verse that's listed there, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In his name. So we've just seen that he's the savior of sinners. He saves us from hell. Now, if he didn't do another thing but save us from the precipice of falling into eternal damnation, he would have done enough and we'd worship him forever. But not only does he save us from our sin and the result of it, what we deserve because of it, he gives us life He gives us new life. He gives us new perspective. He gives us vibrancy. He gives us vitality. Where we were dead, now we're alive. Where we were in darkness, now we're in light. This is a gift he gives to us. Jesus, in his name, we have this life. Life. It's not just being saved from something, it's saved to something. That's what he does for us. Saved unto something else. John, the gospel writer in this passage, He says his account of Jesus' life is meant to persuade people that Jesus is the Christ. And by believing, you may have life in his name. You know, from the moment that Jesus redeems you, by the way, is when you start eternal life. Eternal life does not begin when you die physically. You were dead already. You were made born again by the Spirit of God, giving you life. Now eternal life starts. From that moment, from that time that you went from deadness to life, you have eternal life. And that is the gift that God gives us in Jesus' name. Newness of life, a new perspective, a new outlook, new vitality, all of these things. It's a new sense of vibrancy that we now have. Where we were once purposeless and really lifeless, just really living very little different from beasts in the sense of meal to meal, pleasure to pleasure, whatever would make us continue on. That's deadness, really, though. Life is to see it all through a new lens, new perspective completely. In fact, this is constantly reinforced in the Scriptures when speaking about what happens to us when we become believers, about this life-giving Christ. In John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In 1 Peter, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have life in Christ who's been raised. Our security is in the risen Jesus. Being in union with Christ gives us life in its stability. It's a knowledge that it will never end. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes Chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, Paul writes, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He wants us who have received new life to share that message of how to be reconciled with God, to be made alive through Christ. Jesus, life in his name. That's how we have actual life. That's how you really live. In the name of Jesus. Through Christ. That's real life. Now, you'll live in a day where people say, this is life. Come do this. This is really living. But it's not. It's a way that leads to death. It's life in Christ and in his name. That's where real living happens. My favorite passage on this topic is in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Grace is unmerited favor given to people who actually deserve wrath, and it can be done legally because Christ is in our stead. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This means as you stand before God, you are completely acceptable to him because of Christ, because you are alive in Christ. You have been given life, Jesus, life in his name, means as God the Father looks at you, he sees the Son, and he loves the Son, he will never cast the Son off, so he will never cast you off. You say, but I've sinned in a way you can't imagine. Are you in Christ? Do you rest in Christ? Because if you rest in Christ, the Father will never forsake you. The Father will never cast you off. Christ gives you life in his name so that at the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. This is the the vitality, the life that God works in us when we are his. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what he he made us alive unto do, to carry out things that bring glory to God. Not to gain salvation, but to show God's salvation manifestation of it in lives that are changed, because we're alive now. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Real life, brothers and sisters, as a reminder, is in Christ. It's life in his name. That's where you'll find real life. John Calvin, in commenting on this passage from Ephesians, he said, yet As if those blessings were presently in our possession, he states that we have received them and illustrates the change which has taken place in our condition when we were led from Adam to Christ. It is as if we had been brought from the deepest hell to heaven itself. The name of Jesus has to do with him giving us life, yet there is more significance to the name of Jesus. Look at the next passage. This is a passage that speaks of Jesus' name once again. And it speaks of Jesus as the provider of purpose. We've been saved from hell, now we have life. But that life we have has purpose. There are reasons for your life. There are directives for your life. You have guidance for your life in what God intends to do through it. Now, before you get too nervous, it's not to say that you should ditch everything you're doing right now. It just has to do with the way you view the things you're doing. Because it'll make you do them differently. I'd say better. It might give you some new direction. But purpose in Jesus' name is also what we have on display. Colossians 3, verse 17, that's the next passage. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, whether you're talking or you're doing, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you see the name of Christ again? In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. Life in Christ has a very particular meaning. Jesus is the reason that we live. Life in Jesus casts a new pall over everything. Um, so when we come to church, it's not meant to be like that one thing you do among 15 other things during the week. It's supposed to bring you back to connection, into connection with the main reason for your life, which is Christ. it's it's a touch point about what really matters. It's not a, let's get escape for a moment and do this and then go back. No, it's to remind you what you should be thinking all the time about Christ and his life, and his calling, his saving you, what he's called you to, what it means, how it's given you purpose, how other people don't necessarily know it. You should try to find a way to share it or discover ways in which to manifest God's glory by the hard work you do, whatever it may be. Recognize this purpose clearly displayed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, before the fall, when you think about before sin entered, worship, what would worship be like? Worship would be fellowship with God in obedience, perfect obedience because we'd be able to without sin. And this would be this worshiping, it would accent God's glory, God's creation, perfectly in tune and alignment, doing what creation's created to do keeping and tending the earth, multiplying, spreading over the earth, exercising dominion. But then sin comes in, and where we didn't have a division between God and us, now there's a division, a dividing wall of separation. And we no longer have the ability to to discern how to worship him. We don't know how to do these things anymore unless he reveals it to us. After salvation, when he brings Christ, gives us Christ, the second Adam, In Him, we now can be restored in our worship of God. Not perfectly until heaven. But now, the things we do, we can see through the lens of God's glory. And so, think about the things you do vocationally or whatever you spend your time on. You spend a lot of it doing a lot of things. There's a lot of hours during the week we spend time doing these things. The tasks we have to do, the jobs we perform. They are all in some way meant to expand the dominion and flourishing of mankind. Or they may be meant to help fix or mitigate or even redeem some aspect of broken humanity. That's what we labor in doing. Just see that it's connected to God's purposes so that when we read what Paul said, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, God the Father, through him. Our purpose now in Christ is to magnify God through Christ in all that we do. The things that we say are meant to bring attention to Christ. The things that we do or the tasks that we perform are meant to broadcast the name of Christ. Jesus is to be the focus of all glory. Anything we do should be done for Christ. After all, he is our Savior and life giver. It makes sense that the purpose of our life would be to give him praise for that. Christ is our life. We have purpose now, to magnify Jesus, and that never is exhausted. You know, when I think about this in in, uh, our current day, um, people who get lots of glory because of talents God's given them, um, they have a huge stage. And it's always compelling when somebody has great talent, people recognize it, and they deflect glory from themselves and unto God. And you could think of this in the world of sports very vividly. Basketball players like Steph Curry, for instance, or NFL players like Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, I heard Philip Rivers give a really uh, clear message of faith in Christ and not to glorify him, but appreciate um, what God has done in helping athletes be so good. And really, he deserves the praise. I love how they say this. The gymnast, Gabby Douglas, she speaks the same way. There's a track star named Allison Felix who's like this as well. The boxer, uh, Manny Pacquiao. All these are super talented people and very successful winners. And they're able to say... In Colossians 3, like Colossians 3, whatever you do, do the glory of God. And people listen because they're winners. But that passage applies to everybody no matter what you are doing. There's a quarterback that was drafted in the fifth round by the Buffalo Bills, Nathan Peterman. I do not know anything about this guy. I just known he was a late draft pick and probably not someone who would ever be more than a backup. Only a few examples of those who are drafted that late that... Mount to something some significant ones but in this case that's what I'm thinking he's not going to play much but last year in the first year the starting quarterback gets injured next thing you know it Nathan Peterman is playing he's in the NFL he's a professional player there should be some glory attached to this but over the course of that season he put up historically awful numbers um, in the first half of his first game he threw five interceptions that's a record now, most coaches would take him out after the third one, you'd think, but five interceptions later, he's finally yanked. He's played eight games total between last year and this year before he got cut by the Bills. His total QB rating was just over 30 out of 100. I think I might be able to get that much. I'm not positive, but I think it's possible. If I didn't throw it, just ran forward a few times, i get a yard or two. I mean, I'm heavy enough to fall over, right? He gets a 30, Twelve interceptions in those eight games. That's four times as many touchdowns as he threw. And after one of his interviews, I, again, didn't know anything about him. I'm just like, why do they keep putting this guy in? What is the deal? They were skewering this guy in his, in his post-game interview in the press conference, just blaming him for everything. And he was taking, I was just noticing how gracious he was about this. And First of all, that he even came out for the, for the press conference. I wouldn't even shown up for that. And he just takes it and explains how he needs to do better, how he and he said all these things, didn't blame anybody else. And then finally he gets to this point. There's a bit of a pause, and this is, I quote, Nathan Peterman. At the end of the day, I know where my true identity lies. It's in Christ. Being a child of God is my identity. Not finding my identity in football, just trying to find it in who I really am, he said. I love this game and I put everything I have into this game, but I can't let it define me. Colossians three seventeen isn't just for the winners. Because most of us are basically losers, right? Whatever we do, in word or in deed, do it in the name of Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The name of Jesus has to do with giving us purpose for this life, yet there is more significance to the name of Jesus, and I finally point you to Philippians chapter 2, the last verse referenced This has to do with the ultimate glory of Christ, tied up or connected with his name. Jesus, the preeminent one. Jesus, the ultimate one. In Philippians 2, after speaking of the way that Jesus humbled himself in order to be our sacrifice, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the Savior of sinners. He's the giver of eternal life. He's the provider of purpose. And he's the preeminent one. He is the ultimate one. And everybody will bow to him. Now, I'm speaking predominantly to a group of Christians. And this gives us great joy to consider our Lord Christ getting this kind of glory. And I can't capture it better than JC Ryle. Now, the warning is every time I start reading JC Ryle in connection with preparation for a sermon, I want to read all of JC Ryle to you because he's far more profound than me. Everything will bow to Christ, every person will acknowledge the Lordship and Kingship of Christ. Nothing will be able to resist Christ's glory. And listen to how Ryle captures this for Christians. He says, I cannot dwell long on this point. I have no not power. If I had space and room, I still couldn't fit it. I can ill-describe things unseen in a world unknown. But this I know, that all men and women who reach heaven will find that even there also Christ is all. Like the altar in Solomon's temple, I love this picture, Christ crucified will be the grand object in heaven. The altar, that altar, Solomon, in Solomon's temple, struck the eye of everyone who entered the temple gates. It was the great brazen altar, 20 cubits broad, and as broad as the front of the temple itself. So in like manner will Jesus fill the eyes of all who enter glory. In the midst of the throne, and surrounded by adoring angels and saints, there will be the Lamb who is slain, and the Lamb shall be the light of that place. The praise of the Lord Jesus will be the eternal song of all the inhabitants of heaven. They will say with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb that was slain. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him that sitteth on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The service of the Lord Jesus will be one eternal occupation of all the inhabitants of heaven. We shall serve him day and night in his temple. Blessed is the thought that we shall at length attend to him without distraction and work for him without weariness. The presence of Christ himself shall be one everlasting enjoyment of the inhabitants of heaven. We shall see his face and hear his voice and speak with him as friend with friend. Sweet is the thought that whosoever may be wanting at the marriage supper, the master himself will be there. His presence will satisfy our wants. What a sweet and glorious home heaven will be to those who have loved the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Here we live by faith in him and find peace through. Though we see him not, there we shall see him face to face, and find he is altogether lovely. Better indeed will be the be the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. Ryle puts it so well. The name of Jesus has to do with the centrality of his person, his ultimacy, his preeminence. The name of Jesus has to do with him as Lord over all, in us enjoying that into eternity. Jesus means salvation, it means eternal life, it means purpose, it means his preeminence. In Colossians, Paul wrote, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I wanted to start with this message because as you begin your contemplations and your gatherings during the season, as you see people moving to and fro, pause and think of Jesus. Think of the name of Jesus. Think of the impact, the depth of that. Think of what it means. Think of what people are missing when they don't get this. Praise God that you have this knowledge because you wouldn't have it if it weren't for his grace. And ask for God to give ways to accent this. I mean, we we celebrate this season every year. But let this be a time that's different than others. That there is a real pervasive understanding of the lordship, the beautiful lordship of Jesus over all of your life. I mentioned J.C. Ryle, and I want to close with something that he wrote. It's just so profound. Ryle wrote, Through him alone, we can have peace with the holy God. Him alone, through him, we can have admission into the presence of the Most High and stand there without fear. We have boldness and access with confidence by by faith in him. In him alone can God be just and justify the ungodly. Wherewith can any mortal man come before God? What can we bring as a plea for acquittal before that glorious being in whose eyes the very heavens are not clean? Shall we say that we have done our duty to God? Shall we say that we have done our duty to our neighbor? Shall we bring forward our prayers, our regularity, our morality, our amendments, our church going? Shall we ask to be accepted because of any of these things? Which of these things will stand the searching inspection of God's eye? Which of them will actually justify us? Which of them will carry us clear through judgment and land us safe in glory? None, none, none. Take any commandment of the ten and let us examine ourselves by it. We have broken it repeatedly. We cannot answer God one of a thousand, take any of us, and look narrowly into our ways, and we are nothing but sinners. There is but one verdict. We are all guilty, all deserve hell, all ought to die. Wherewith can we come before God? We must come in the name of Jesus. Standing on no other ground, pleading no other plea than this, Christ died on the cross for the ungodly and I trust in him. Christ died for me and I believe on him. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, Joseph, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Father, as we enter this Advent season, may it be a time of deep reflection, focus, and praise. May these weeks be a period of contemplation and celebration about Jesus Christ. I pray for each person here to be strengthened in their faith and emboldened in their witness. Finally, Lord Jesus, we thank you for saving us from our sins. I pray this in your name. Amen.